you're right. I'm not even worried about this big bomb. And judge that. Well, judge that, baby. Judge that. Call our man. What? I deserve to be back now for power number one because I am. It's just like that. It's gonna be with me, you know. You know I've been drama excitement. I mean, shit bought him. Because he's blind, I can't see. I will let you talk. I did the talking tonight. Which one of y'all kicking me? This is number one bullshit. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious. What's up, family? Welcome to the third installment of the Impetuous Impregnable Fight Cast. Listen to this before you go to happy hour. That way you can get drunk at happy hour and talk about this podcast. Um, I want to thank you all for the responses to the previous two. It really means a lot to me to hear people talk about how, you know, how they really learned something from it or how they were entertained by it or it made them laugh. All that shit does not go unnoticed. I want to thank you for sharing it and uh, telling your friends about it. it. It really means a lot to me personally. And, um, you know, it's just a thing of passion for me to, to just put these out there. I love fighting. I love the, the whole art, the, all the behind the scenes shit. I love all that shit. So for me to just express that and just put that out into the universe and just put some wings to it. If it reaches one person, that's a victory for me. If one person goes, I was really feeling what you said. I was really digging that. That's a victory for me personally. So thank you for the responses to the previous two. Let's get right into this third one. Happy Friday. Hope your work week wasn't too shitty. Let's get right into it. What we got on tap for today? Um, I want to talk Chavez Canelo. Chavez Jr. versus Canelo. Maybe talk some uh, Mayweather-McGregor. They say that's, you know, some shit about that. Uh, maybe get into some fantasy matches, some hypotheticals, what-ifs, if who, for who in their prime. But before that, let's get right into one of the most epic, epic, classic, classic fights. That's right, you get doubled up word adjectives for this one. Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir the Steel Hammer Klitschko. You know it. You saw it. You were inspired. Yes, you were. You got to be happy anytime history happens while you are present. In your era, in your lifetime, while you're living. Think about how much shit you watch on a day-to-day or on a weekend that you're going to forget about tomorrow or the day after. Even if you remember it, your kids won't remember it. And definitely your kids' kids won't remember it. Your kids' kids won't remember a lot of shit that happens, say, tomorrow. Anthony Joshua versus Vladimir Klitschko is an all-time classic fight that is going to be talked about. People going to be bringing up that fight as long as there is a fucking democracy. They're going to be talking about that fight. That shit was epic. Klitschko is one of the best stories in boxing. Early on. Klitschko was dominant early on in his career just a massive massive man six 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 seven something like that upwards of 240 250 he's in a discussion when you talk about the need for super heavyweight division like that's funny to me like after you get to a certain weight the sanctioning bodies go ah fuck it you'll be okay like if you go welterweight and you weigh 147 and the person comes in weighing 167 that won't be okay but if you're a heavyweight and you weigh 220 and your opponent comes in weighing 240 that's somehow all right. Like, the logic behind that escapes me. But that being said, Klitschko, Klitschko and Joshua would classify as super heavyweights. Think about the rumble in the jungle for a second. Ali versus Foreman. One of the most revered fights in the history. Ali weighed 216 or 213, something like that. And Foreman was 220. And Foreman was considered a giant back then. He was a killer. Like, the quintessential apex predator of a human being. He was 220. Anthony Joshua was 250 a couple Saturdays ago. Standing 6'6". This is what I mean by super heavyweights. These fuckers are giants. 
But Vladimir Klitschko was special early on in his career. He had this stunning, bruising, unforgiving jab. He was kind of stiff, but still athletic, if that makes sense. He was really athletic for a big guy. Dominated early on, but he got caught a few times. Uh, he seemed to be a bit chinny. Chinny means that when you get hit clean, you might have some issues. So he was chinny. Then he lost a uh, gentleman by the name of Ross Purity by TKO. Then he won some fights. Then he got lit up by Corey Sanders in South Africa. And after that fight, people thought, this big dude can't take a punch. Like, he big as shit, but if you can hit him clean, he's soft. He can't take a punch. Then he lost to Lamar Brewster by TKO. And the fights he lost, he, lost, he got pumped. It's one thing to lose. Everybody loses eventually if you fight long enough. But this was just soft shit. And then his brother Vitaly had this epic fight with Lennox Lewis. So Vladimir kind of faded a little bit. And I think he took some time off. Or I don't know if he semi-retired or what it was. But he wasn't making no noise in the heavyweight division. Then he came back with a vengeance. He beat Chris Bird. He beat Samuel Peter. Who was a disgusting power puncher. Google Samuel Peter if you're not familiar. Duke can punch. Big African fucker. But Vladimir, Vladimir schooled him. Uh, I think he KO'd him in a rematch. He beat Chris Bird in a rematch. Lamont Brewster. Pretty much everybody that beat him, he came back and beat. Uh, he won 22 straight before losing to uh, Tyson Fury. That fight was kind of uneventful. But this Joshua Vladimir fight was all world epic. That, the heavyweight champion used to be the most powerful, prestigious position in America. Like, you were the baddest man on the planet. That was the term for it. You're the heavyweight champion. You're the baddest man on the planet. You get that heavyweight strap and you're like a god. Now, not so much because of the shadiness of boxing. And there's so many belts that who the fuck knows who the baddest man on the planet is. But it used to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And so a fight like that, that uh, Joshua Klitschko fight, can maybe restore the glamour to that position. But, you know, this is the problem though. And it has been for the past 20 years in boxing, if not longer. It's a bunch of fighters out there for Joshua to fight. But boxing is a business, first and foremost. First and foremost, it's a business. A business. How can I maximize profits while taking minimal risk? That's a good business model. Like UFC is not like that. If you good, you're going to fight somebody good really, really soon. If you really good in the UFC, if you come into the UFC and you really good, you're going to fight somebody really good really soon. So that fucks up the personal business. Like UFC is a company, business is always good. But the business of the fighter is fucked up in the UFC because you can't make a ton of money fighting tomato cans, which is the way it is in a lot of times in boxing. So if I'm a young person coming up, I would never in my life decide to do MMA over boxing. Now, if I'm fighting, if I'm a fighting purist with that crazy heart to want to be the best and fight the best and really challenge myself, then yes, I look towards MMA because it's the closest thing to a real fight you can do without going to prison. But if I'm looking at it from what's best for my future as a young person looking out into the workforce, from that point of view, fuck MMA. I'm going to boxing. You fight a bunch of bums that nobody's heard of in sold out places. You get like 10 local fights where the place isn't like jam packed, but you fight against bums and you can make a couple thousand dollars. It's fighters that fight in the UFC, that first fight in the UFC. Where the chances of losing are exponentially greater than in a boxing match. They make a couple thousand. So you can make up in a boxing fight, fighting legit scrubs. You can build a name, get some name recognition from fights 10 to 30. If you're really good and you're exciting, you can make okay money to fight fighters that really aren't that good. They're not cab drivers, but they ain't exactly fucking Sugar Ray Robinson either. You know what I'm saying? So once you get there... People start to clamor for you to take on a real fight. But by that time, you should have a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there 
paid off for you. You know what I'm saying? You should have made at least a couple hundred thousand by the time you get to that big fight that maybe you're supposed to lose. Then you get the million dollar fight against a real person, against a, a person who, like 50-50, you might win, you might lose. But I say that to say, Deontay Wilder is out there for Joshua. A rematch with Klitschko is out there for Joshua. Other good heavyweights out there, but all dog, it's going to be a bunch of cans, a bunch of tomato cans to capitalize on this popularity of Joshua before another real fight happens. They probably sell out Wembley Stadium a couple more times. That's a shit fuck ton of money. To sell out Wembley Stadium a couple more times against some bums. Then you risk it all by fighting someone that can actually beat you. So the business aspect always keeps the fan waiting in boxing. Always. And that's the shitty and shady part of it. Um, so that's what we're going to have in the heavyweight division. Hopefully. Hopefully. I hope I'm wrong. But, you know, just to put a bow on what a great fight that was. Anytime two big heavyweights fight, it's suspenseful because they might as well be fighting in a fucking minefield. Any wrong move, you stepping on a landmine. Except it's your chin that explodes. Any wrong step is zero room for error with these big fuckers. That's why you get a bunch of knockdowns. Now, the greatness comes into play when after getting knocked down, they're able to get up, regroup, come back. It speaks to the fucking human heart. What a treat. What a display of skill and toughness and heart and desire and everything sport should be about. Two gigantic fuckers saying, I'm not going out like that. What a great treat for us all. We owe them a debt of gratitude for showing us what's possible within our own human potential. So shout out and salute Anthony Joshua and the living legend, the Vladimir that still Klitschko. And his wife for that great role she played in Heroes some years back. Now on to a fight that wasn't so epic. Canelo Alvarez versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. So real quick, because Chavez Jr. doesn't deserve your time or my time. Nothing about this fight was epic, and I mean nothing. But ironically, after the fight was over, they had this big extravaganza where they announced that Alvarez is fighting Triple G in September. Which leads me to believe... That a lot of powerful people with money invested in that fight would have been really unhappy to see Chavez Jr. win. Which kind of speaks to the effort that he put forth in that fight. Again, I don't mind people not trying to win a fight. I don't mind people quitting or whatever they feel they need to do in the moment. But do that shit on your own time. Do it in the gym, on the street, you know, on your own damn time. When I'm paying my hard-earned money to see a fight, then that's what I'm paying for. This was false advertisement. I should fucking sue. We all should fucking sue. I didn't pay for the fight. <clears throat> I didn't pay for it. So I can't sue. But if I did, I would want every dollar of my money back. Why is that not a thing that if I'm not a satisfied customer, I don't get my money back? These fucking promotions got all these damn stipulations and loopholes and contracts. How come they never say, this is going to be an amazing fight? Both fighters are coming to fight. And we want you to pay to see it. And because we're selling you on the fact that this will be a fight... If one of these guys shows up and doesn't fight, you'll be reimbursed. So check out the fight. It's a fight. I'm not paying my money for the result. I don't care what the result is. I'm paying for the fight. The fight. The in-ring action should be up to my standards if I fucking pay. I'm calling the Better Business Bureau about this shit. Not the better. The Better Business Bureau about this shit. I got swindled. You got swindled. I got took. You got took. It was a sham. All I can say is, Sham, wow. But I say that to say that the money fight wasn't about to get interrupted by Chavez Jr. So now we got Triple G versus Canelo, 
which people have been waiting for for a while. Again, in boxing, you just wait and wait and fucking wait because it's good for the fighters in the long run, but bad for the fans. Like the Mayweather-Pacquiao thing, same thing. Exact same situation, just not to this degree. Floyd and Pacquiao was just to the fucking, uh, just off the chart, extreme bullshit. But, you know, and Mayweather, coincidentally, speaking of waiting, he's the best businessman, one of the best, not the best, obviously not the best, but one of the best businessmen in the history of America, not just boxing, a fucking America. Think about this, as it pertains to the Pacquiao fight. Pacquiao fought De La Hoya in 08, 08. At that moment, everyone was a little bit before that. But specifically after he beat De La Hoya, everyone was like, you both are on the welterweight division. Let's make the fight happen. See, this is why you need a Dana White in boxing because the fight would have been made that year or the next. What does Mayweather say? Mayweather says, thinking business first, I'm pretty sure I can beat this dude because I'm pretty sure I can beat everybody. But the fight ain't big enough yet. Let it keep cooking on the stove. Pacquiao keeps winning and winning and winning. Still cooking on the stove. They still, everybody like me, you, your mama, everybody still calling for a fight. Mayweather's going. Physically, we both ready to fight, but financially, yeah, I didn't hear that ping on the oven yet. You know when you when you waiting on your food, your food is done baking, and the oven goes ding. Floyd is waiting on the ding before he decides to to fight. Then it's a hiccup. Your girl walks in the kitchen and turns off the fucking stove in the form of Pacquiao getting slept. By a roided up, juiced up Juan Manuel Marquez. Floyd says, let it heat back up. In the form of Pac-Man going on another win streak. And he does. And this time, I'm taking the fight right off the stove. Because if the stove is turned off again, I can't eat this food. So as soon as Pacquiao goes on another win streak, they make the fight. Finally, they fight. Uh, Floyd, if he would have fought in 08, when we all wanted it, he made $25 million for De La Hoya. Uh, so what would he have made for Pac-Man in 08? 30, 40, maybe 50 million? He waited, made us wait, which was offensive to us. Like, I was genuinely offended. I love boxing. I want to see the best fight. I want to see the best fight the best. And you're saying, fuck you to me. So I'm offended by your lack of appetite, Floyd, to make the biggest fight possible. But humans want what we want. We go on feel. Not on logic. We go on feel. You can look at like our presidential situation and just the country as a whole and realize like we are a feels people. This it felt like a fight I needed to see, even though it was seven years late. I still wanted to see it. Not logic, but feel. We everybody's in our feels. So finally, Floyd says it's big enough. He makes probably after pay per view buys two hundred million dollars in one night. How many people have made two hundred million dollars in one night? Not even a night. Floyd made $200 million for 36 minutes worth of work. So if he had a fought in 08, when we wanted him to fight, he would have fought a fresher, more energetic Pac-Man with better speed and youth to his advantage. But he waited and waited and minimized the risk while upping the financial game by at least, at least $150 fucking million. Again, as a fan, this shit is annoying because we don't care about the business shit. I want to see... Blood. We don't give a fuck that you made two hundred million in, the, in two hundred million in one fight. I'm not seeing a dime of that money. So fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. That's how most people feel. But at the end, this is the business, and this business, when that situation was top shelf, top of the food chain, and not only is he one of the best boxers in history, but also one of the best businessmen. 
and that weight and let it cook philosophy has been adopted by everyone in the boxing game. Canelo and Triple G been ready to go. What HBO say? Let's wait. Let's let Triple G get a couple more HBO dates. Throw him out there to the masses. Y'all soak that shit in. Let's put him in some pay-per-views. See if he can sell pretty good. We want to put some gasoline on this thing in terms of promotion and advertisement. And let's make a big event and watch this shit blow up. So both of these guys also going to make a butt-fuck ton of money. More money than they would have if they would have fought sooner. So that's coming up in September. And Dana White says that that pushes back Mayweather versus McGregor. A fight that I definitely want to see. I want to see the spectacle and shit show that is the glitz and shits of a big event like Mayweather McGregor. I have to. Like, I have to watch a fight like that. That's what I call it. Glitz and shits. They can pay me. They can pay me to adopt that as a theme of the fight. I'll I'll charge a, a nominal fee. You can put that on the banner. Glitz and shits. I think for sure the fight is taking place. Um, I think they were waiting this long. Because I don't think it's because of McGregor's baby. I think they're giving him some time to work on exclusively hands. He's been MMA. You you can't. He's too many disciplines uh, McGregor has been engulfed in. So they're giving him time, months, to work on just hands. Exclusively hands. Think, obviously, that's what they're doing. They're trying to get him as good as he can. Get him as sharp as he can before he steps into the fight. Uh, you know the fight is going to happen. This is America. It's only one true religion in this country. Just one. And it's money. All other religions are spiritual in name only because most people believe in certain things. Certain principles that should govern their lives. But they don't live by them because no sane person would. How many Christians fornicate? How many Muslims eat pork chops? I mean these are things that you're not supposed to do so says your religion. But I'm spiritual. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to not have sex until I'm married because it's written in some old book. Come on Jesus. Be fucking rational here. So I say that to say... That the one true religion in this country especially is the dollar bill. People live by the tenets of their money. So if it makes a shit ton of money, then it's happening. So this fight is definitely happening. It's just a matter of when. And one thing that intrigues me about this fight, because I really love Connor's approach to fight. See, Connor's personality rubs people the wrong way because people act a couple ways towards boisterous, loud, flamboyant people. Certain people, they live vicariously through that person and say, you know, if I had the heart, or the talent to do that shit, I would want to talk shit like that too. I just can't deal with the backlash that comes with it. So I'm going to just sit back and watch Khan and, and do, I'm going to sit and watch Khan and do it and say the things that I wish I could if I had been born a different human being. So that's one person. That's one philosophy. Then there's the person that says, fuck him. I don't like loud people. It's a way you go about fighting. You're a martial artist. You should be respectful, cordial to your opponent, you fight the fight, you try to win, but don't insult people. Show a little class while you're trying to kill people. Those types of people. So you got people on both sides of the fence, as always. Always people on both sides of the fence of, of polarizing people. That's just the way it works. So Connor's mouth overshadows his fight skill somewhat. But more so, his mouth overshadows his fight brain or fight IQ, I should say. When he talks about fighters, he's dropping jewels. Jewel Santanas. It's top flight shit. I love the way he dissects fighters. You know, the way he talks about what they do in the cage, like he's a student of the game. So I'm interested personally 
to see how he breaks down Mayweather's style because that's something I've always wanted about Floyd's opponents. I like to see some fighters, I like to see some behind the scenes stuff as it pertains to Mayweather's opponents and what the hell they were doing in training camp to prepare for Floyd Mayweather. Usually after Floyd's fights, I mean, without fail, you see Floyd's opponents talking about he's faster than I thought he was going to be or he has really good defense or I mean, he's got quick feet. I'm like, duh, the fuck you think he had? You didn't know this before you stepped in the ring? Like, what are people actually doing in the camps? Like, they just look so lost. It's one thing to not know what's coming. But all these fights are on tape, so you would think at least someone would, you know, kind of have an approach that is, is kind of, that would just seem like it would work better. You know, obviously this is easy for me to say on the outside, but I mean, you would just think that somebody would come up with at least a different game plan, something that hasn't been tried before. To me personally, it just seems like an ego thing to some extent. Or maybe just a, a miscalculation of how well you can apply what you do as it pertains to imposing your will on your opponent. Like uh, Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins is one of the best I've seen at, at, at doing his thing but nullifying his opponent's game. Like in most combat sports, people go in there with the mindset of, I'm just do my thing. You hear this a lot. Fighters say, I'm not watching much tape on my opponent. I'm not worried about what he's doing. I'm focusing on my shit, and he has to worry about me. Um, nah. When you fighting Floyd, you better focus on what he's doing and how you can combat that shit. Like, Bernard Hopkins is one of the best, and whatever your strength is, he takes that away from you. So, he asked the question, how many black belt tools do you have in your toolkit? Like, black belt tools, meaning the highest level of tools. For instance, if he's fighting somebody with a great jab, he makes sure you can't hit him with that jab. If your jab is your bread and butter and you can't use it because its angles and movement have took that away, what is the next next best thing that you're going to in the toolkit? That's why I say black belt tools. So your jab has been taken away. Your jab was a black belt jab, high level jab. What are you going to do next? Your right hand, your hook. Are they as good as your jab? Are they black belt or are they white and blue belt level? You see what I'm saying? Because if they aren't, you're going to have a problem. So I think too many times people focus on doing what they do as opposed to taking away the other person's tools. You hear that a lot when it comes to picking fights. You hear the commentator say, well, who's going to win this fight? Well, whoever can impose their will, I think I think that that's going to be the person to win. The person who can impose their will. I think we should hear more of whoever can stop their opponent from doing their favorite shit, but at the same time imposing their own shit sounds a lot better. That's the way I would put it. So I would put it like this. If I'm Jack... And I'm fighting John. My thought process is not to go into the fight with the game plan of being better at Jack than my opponent is at being John. The focus is how can I take away the one or two things that John likes to do and turn John into Craig. Let's see John fight as Craig. Can you do that while still while I'm still being Jack? I'm going to turn you into Craig, John. If that makes sense. Did you like that? I kind of muddied up and puzzled you. Fucked it all up. I like that. The best example to me for this imposing will is uh, Bukow in Muay Thai. Bukow Popramak, legendary Thai fighter. If you're not familiar with him, please bless your life and YouTube him. Um, Jesus may have come back already in the form of Bukow. Uh, B-U-A-K-A-W, Bukow. He does not care what you do. He doesn't stop anybody from doing anything in the fights that I see. If you can punch, you can punch Bukow. If you can kick, you're going to kick Bukow. If you can clinch, you like to clinch, you can do all that shit to Bukow. He don't care. 
He's going to be better at being him than you are at being you. So while you do whatever it is you like to do, he's going to keep coming with an endless swarm, a fucking barrage of all limbs, throws in the clinch. Eventually, people just fade. They start off tight. It's a close race, and then he just pulls away. He's like Usain Bolt. This fucking pulls away. More often than not, he's imposing his game and doing what he does, and that trumps what everybody else is doing. It's really fucking great and amazing to watch. Plus, he doesn't get tired, so that may have some God-given advantages that allow him to pull that off, whereas others might not be able to do it. But so, like I say, it's interesting to see the different approaches, the way people approach these. Me personally, I like that B-hop approach. What is my opponent doing? Okay, what did I get hit with? That's why it's so important that fighters keep their hands up and keep a tight defense. Because then the person that you're facing has, they have to problem solve to hit you cleanly. That's really important that the person who you're fighting has to problem solve in order to hit you cleanly. They have to problem solve or dissect the situation that is your defense. They have to make certain moves and changes to hit a target, being you, that's hard to hit. And by them problem solving, they're leaving clues as to how they got there. Like little breadcrumbs that you can commit to your memory. And when you try to, when they try to go back down that path to try to attack you again, you you following the, the breadcrumbs. Like, well, I, I see what you're trying to do. You got a sense of how they're coming back. And you can counter punch or counter kick as you deem necessary. But if your hand's down or your defense is shitty, then they can just come and go however they please. No roadmap. They don't, they don't leave you no roadmap as how they got there. So you don't know when they're coming back. You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what I mean. I hope it's coming across because it's kind of complicated it's a little hard to explain but the people that need to get it um i'm sure you will so we're good taking inventory i'm a huge proponent of taking inventory what did he just hit me with i'm going to commit that to memory put that in my inventory and you better have another way to pull that shit off because you're not hitting me with that again you might have something else you can hit me with that i haven't seen before but you're not hitting me with that again yeah, it's just like in, in, in football, when people call do football plays, and somebody call a running play, a halfback counter or something. Like, you better have something else because you just showed me the counter, so when you line up in a formation that looks like the counter, you I'm ready for a counter, so you better have something else. So you just hit me with that hook, followed by that kick, you better have something else because you're not hitting me with that combination again. Inventory. And, uh, you know, fighting is such a mental game after you get in shape. Let me repeat that. Fighting is such a mental game after you get in shape. Fighting is all mental. It's a great saying. Um, but first of all, I say that I want to say that if you're not in shape, nothing matters. Fighting is all mental after you get in shape. If you're not in shape, then nothing is effective because you're in survival mode. And it is no taking inventory in survival mode. I'm just trying to not get killed and get home to my bed. Fuck inventory and fuck mental shit. But after you get in shape, which varies depending on the person. You know, some people take, shit, two months. Some people take two weeks. But it's all mental. But it's a great old saying that says, fighting is 80% mental. The other 20% is in your head. And it's true. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Kurt Angle reference. You didn't expect it, but it's there. You're welcome. So getting back to Connor prepping for Mayweather. Obviously, in a boxing match, it's just not enough lifetime to get as good as Floyd in boxing for for Conor. It's just not enough lifetime. So why even try? You can't. It's impossible. He's got 30 years in high-level boxing with an innate gift from God on defense. Like what Floyd does, you cannot teach. And he's shown that fight after fight. What Floyd Mayweather does, you cannot teach. Either you have it or you don't. What he has is a feel. 
Like Bob Marley says about his music, about reggae, it's a feel. It's the feel. You know? It carry a feel. He feels punches coming. He knows when you're going to punch and he moves a split second before you punch. So you go, shit, the punch, the punch ain't there anymore. See, boxing, like life, like MMA, like dancing, like jiu-jitsu, like fucking everything has an ecosystem. Like it's a way that things work, a natural, like a, a way things work. So inside a boxing ring, it's a set of parameters that must be adhered to by every fucking body. You step in the ring, it's a set of parameters that must be adhered to. So inside the framework of boxing, the human brain works the same way it does in any other situation. So let's just step outside of boxing for a second to give you an analogy to how Mayweather is defensively so good. So you take a sniper. okay? You got a sniper from 200 yards away. Sniper's just sitting there. He's waiting to get eyes on the target. He's got 36 minutes to make the kill. 12 rounds. He's got his commands. He's shooting the kill. His target is in the room. Okay, the sniper has eyes on the room. The walls are crazy thick, reinforced concrete. No bullet is going through this wall. But there's a window. There's a window in the room to get the shot off. And the sniper is obviously thinking to him, him or herself, as soon as this fucker walks past this window, I'm going to take my shot. I'm going to land it and fucking the paramedics and God can sort them out. Okay? Mayweather never walks past that window. He never walks past that window. So the sniper's going to wait and wait and wait to take the perfect shot, the open shot. But if the target never walks past the window, in 12 rounds, 36 minutes, the sniper leaves. Mayweather wins. That's boxing. Why didn't the sniper take the shot? Because his brain never said, here's our chance, let's take it. So getting back to the ecosystem of boxing, it's a certain way that most people move. It's a certain sequence that most people punch. It's a certain sequence that most people, the way they punch, the way they defend, everything. But it's something before that. It's something before that. It's something before the moves they make. It's trippy shit. Have you ever seen this movie called A Quick and the Dead with Russell Crowe, Sharon Stone, Leonardo DiCaprio, all the A-listers? Great movie. If you've seen the movie, it's like a, if you haven't seen the movie, it's like a modern, modern western movie. And uh, they got these shootouts at high noon, like most westerns, or some shit like that. So when the clock strikes 12, you either quick or you dead. Pretty simple. The movie's called A Quick and the Dead. So it's a part in the movie um, where Sharon Stone, I believe it was, she was about to have a gunfight at 12 o'clock. And uh, so they sitting there, they, 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 they're going to draw at 12 o'clock. And Russell Crowe says to her, Listen for the clock. Before the long hand hits the 12, like a half second before that, the clock makes a noise. So you know that it's about to hit 12 and you can be faster than the person who goes at 12. So if you know what to look for, you're going to be faster than the person who doesn't. She's looking and listening for the noise before the 12. So if I'm watching you, it's a certain way your shoulders and feet look before you jab or you cross or whatever. Mayweather sees that and he's going to move before the clock hits 12. So the sniper's just going to wait and wait for Floyd to walk past that window. And Floyd never walks past the fucking window. And to walk past the window is another way to say he never gives the sniper a clean shot to shoot him. He's always behind the wall of concrete. Moving his feet, moving his shoulders, moving his head, whatever it is. You watch that recent interview with, on Boxing Hype or Boxing Scene. One of those. 
with Andre Berto and he talks about what it was like fighting Floyd. It's really interesting. But yeah, the human mind. The human mind has to see a target and relate a message to the body that it's time to fire. By the time the brain is starting to send that signal, Floyd is moving because he's thinking just as fast as you are. So while you're thinking, here's our chance, Floyd is thinking, let me move before his chance fully materializes. You can do that over and over and over and over again in boxing and go undefeated or have a great career because it can be like a cute sport sometimes. Cute in the sense that you don't have to get hit that much in fights. Like in all sports, the training is brutal, but in boxing, the fights don't have to be as bad as in other combat professions because the fact that you're dealing with just the hands means you can find some laws within the parameters of boxing that can keep you safe for the duration of a fight. Like Muay Thai, for instance. The training is brutal and the fight is going to be fucking hard too because you can't not get hit. It's not, it's too much shit coming at you. It's like the eight limbs and you factor in clinch techniques. Like, they all know Mayweather's in Muay Thai. Even the best defensive fighters are getting hit or eating kicks, checking kicks, which still hurt. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, another thing with humans is that everyone thinks their thing is the thing. Oh, I box. So boxing is the toughest combat sport there is. Or I do MMA. Or I, well, karate is the toughest. It's an ego thing. My shit. What I'm involved in. What I chose to pursue is the toughest. Because I, I, I. Shut the fuck up. Fuck out of here with that bullshit. It's all tough. And I tried them all. So I'm not going to say what is or what isn't the toughest. But I will say this. If you're just a boxer. And you think that's the hardest thing to do. Go to your nearest gym where they do Muay Thai kickboxing. And take your shin. Take your shin bone and tap it. Just tap it lightly against your partner's shin bone. Bone on bone. And then do that really, really hard over and over. And then and then come back and, and tell me what's harder. We just put it that way. Okay, we all love what we love. We just put it that way. But yeah, Floyd takes away the target before that target is really a target. So then, what happens to the human mind over and over? That's a stressful situation. Like, I'm, I want to hit him, I want to hit him, but I can't. And then in a time-restrictive situation, you panic. And you say, fuck it. And that's when you see these highlights of these fighters throwing 20 punches in a row at Floyd. And he's on the ropes. He's just rolling each one of them. And, of course, you can roll them because in the ecosystem of boxing, the way your feet are, you can tell where the punch is coming from. I know exactly where it's coming from. Okay? If I'm laying on the ropes... And I know you're frustrated because I've took away your sniper shots in the middle of the ring. Okay? I didn't come out. I didn't walk past the window in the middle of the ring. When we get to the ropes, I know you're thinking, holy shit, this is my chance. I think he's walking past the window. Let's fucking go for it. And Floyd just rolls from left to right. He knows what's coming. He knows the sequence. The ecosystem of boxing. Jab, cross, hook. Left hook, body, body, head, hold for a little bit. Body, body, jab, hook. Ref step in. Nothing landed. Now I'm tired. Floyd might as well have been in a fucking rocking chair when I had him on those damn ropes. Every Floyd fight, you can see the frustration with the snipers when he doesn't walk past the window. But every so often, Floyd will walk past the window like he did in the Shane Mosley fight. Shane threw a left to the body. Floyd walked past the window to address the body punch and left his chin exposed and got rocked. Did the stanky leg for a little bit. Shane is an all-time great champion. Slash fighter, slash sniper. So Floyd walked past the window and got popped. It wasn't a kill shot though, but Shane landed it. Floyd didn't walk past that window again for the rest of that fight. It's amazing to watch, especially if you know what you're looking and listening for. The Quick and the Dead. Check that movie. Gene Hackman is in it too. He's a great actor. 
sidebar. So I say that to say I'm really excited to see Connor's approach. What the hell is the game plan? Who's he bringing in to help? What is the person saying to him that he's bringing in? Has the person Floyd before? Is the person void of all ego and able to accept the fact that Khan is overmatched? I want to know what the fuck is going on. Is Freddie Roach helping him get ready? If so, he should stop that right now. No, and I mean zero blue blood Star Wars legendary boxing trainers need to be helping Connor. None. No Freddie Roaches or Teddy Atlases or Nacho Burris things or any trainer that's done one trainer of the year. You need someone outside of the ecosystem of boxing. You need someone with fresh eyes. Mayweather's a fucking cold case. And you need a new detective with fresh eyes to come in and look at that fucker. To try to solve this case with a different approach. An old trainer's going to walk Connor down a traditional boxing path. Mayweather's the king of that mountain. And his boxing IQ is probably higher than all the trainers. All those trainers who try to train fighters to beat Floyd, his IQ is better than all of them probably. Easily, probably. Um, I'd be bringing in some karate guys, some Greco-Roman wrestlers, anything but traditional boxing shit. Traditional boxing, Connor's going to get worked. Probably stopped in eight or nine rounds. I did a what-if breakdown uh, on if the fight happens. Just check that out on YouTube um, if you want to see it. It's good. I like it. I made it for you, so watch it when you get a chance. So yeah, that fight is coming up soon. Um, so I didn't get a chance in this episode to get into the hypothetical matchups, but I will next week, I promise. Uh, everybody always talks about Ali. What if Ali versus Tyson? I'm going deep into that one. Uh, Mayweather versus Tommy Hearns. What if? Maybe uh, Prime GSP versus Prime Anderson Silva. Uh, want to talk about steroids in MMA. And whatever else you guys and gals want to talk about. Um, the final fight scene of Rocky won. Um, I did a breakdown of that fight. It's technical but comedic too at the same time. Uh, more comedic than anything. Uh, so I'm going to do a fight breakdown of Bloodsport next. Or maybe Kickbox or some olden time great Van Damme movie. All that. So um, thank you so much. So happy you took the time. I hope you got some jewels out of here. Um, a couple of the, the, the plots I was trying to get into are really intricate. So listen to it twice, three times if you entertain um um, and just hit me up I can go into it in detail um, for you some more so again thanks for taking time hope you learned something and as always I hope you were really really entertained um, till next time keep your chance tucked pivot on your hook impetuous impregnable